This is Imperial Voice, streaming from the palace of His Imperial Majesty, Haile Selassie. joining us. Our guest today is Ben Taylor. Hello. Hi Ben, I'm Tosin. How are you? Very well, thanks. Nice to meet you. Very nice to meet you. Thank you for joining us. Well, what a pleasure. So Ben, you're on Imperial Voice Radio, which is streaming uh, to the world as if from Fairfield House Bath, the palace of His Imperial Majesty Haile Selassie I. And the programme is called In Our City. Lovely to have you on. Your dad died recently, didn't he? We were very sorry to hear that. And may he rest in peace. Thank you. We want to talk about a project you've got, which is a tribute to your dad's life's work. Yes. So dad was a, dad was a BBC um, producer. He, he, uh, he joined the BBC uh, when BBC Two first opened in around about 1965. Before then, he'd been an editor for British transport films and moved to Nigeria with me as a one-year-old baby uh, in 1961 to take up a position with West African television, uh, training um, Nigerians to, uh, to, to professional standard so that they could run their own television station without the help of, of foreign experts. Dad's feeling for Africa, his love for his friends there and and his his deep knowledge of it and the fact that he was very senior at the BBC meant that he was able to make pretty much any sort of program he wanted in Africa and they were always they were always ecological or cultural or um, musical or looking at the political situation where possible through a lens that was accessible to others. And the film that you're talking about particularly, especially since we are conducting this interview in Haile Selassie's palace, is the Ethiopian music documentary he did. He did several African music documentaries. This one in Ethiopia has had particular penetration. I'm not quite sure why, but it's had it's had 50-odd thousand hits on YouTube since I put it up. I think there's a very large Ethiopian diaspora um, uh, in this country, but the, from the comments that I've seen on it, it's, um, it gives, a, it gives, a, it gives a, a view of what Ethiopia used to be like. So for, for, the, for a slightly older generation, it's, there's a lot of nostalgia um, for times past and also the music's really good that's that's one of the films that i've put up since dad died i i i uh, I, I, I i thought a good thing to do to to honor him and to you know help process my own feelings was to do something creative that kept him in my focus and he'd always talked about finding some way to um get his archive uh, available for people so 
I've been through this process of digitizing his old films and and making a YouTube channel for them. And this Ethiopian one is one of them. I have to say that I I, I watched it and um, I didn't have, forgive me, uh, great expectations, uh, but I was absolutely delighted by it. And I and you you say that. Um, you don't know why it seems to resonate, but I think it's the tone that your father um, took with the the documentary. It's a it's a very non-judgmental, um, non-patronizing tone. It allows it it it, it frames the whole music um, revolution change. It allows the voices of the uh, uh, the participants the the um, to come to come across really strongly, mm-hmm. uh, it, it, it's 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 a very it's, it's a very well done piece, and I think that's why it resonates. Your father did a great job. We're talking with Benedict Taylor, and it's a tribute to his father, Richard Taylor. We're going to listen to uh, Richard Taylor's documentary about, about Ethiopia, which is called Under African Skies. The historian Edward Gibbon once wrote, the Ethiopians slept near a thousand years, forgetful of the world by whom they were forgotten. Today, for many reasons, Ethiopians are dispersed throughout the world. There are 30,000 here in Washington alone. In Washington's Ethiopian quarter, Astet Awerka sings to her people, For the first time in their history, Ethiopians know the experience of exile. I think most people think of my country as a place of famine and a civil war. They only know it through television news and the newspaper headlines. But like anywhere else in the world, there's another side to my country, a more enduring side, because we are a people with a long, long history.
Yan. If you see an Ethiopian monarchy in a vast landscape and plays these simple instruments, seemingly so such monotonous notes, there is nothing that transports the Ethiopian soul to the highest of uh, images that you can imagine. It lifts you up, it transports you, it is pure poetry. Ethiopia is a mosaic of peoples, 75 different nations in all, with their own traditions and cultures. But its contemporary music derives from the country's heartland, the so-called Central Highlands. The music of the Amara, the Tigria, the Gurage, and the Oromo. These highland people are the dominating influence on today's city music. Nawai de Berber, idol of a younger generation, grew up in the country. He once tended his grandfather's herd. At Ethiopian television, they're recording to playback one of his romantic songs, full of pastoral imagery. His regular venue is the Addis Ababa Hilton. Here he sings with one of the most versatile bands in the country, Roja. No, I write his own material. This is not unusual. It's part of a long and vigorous tradition in Ethiopia. I would say the Ethiopian always sings at, at his heart, in his heart. Uh, he's a poet at heart. He is a singer at heart. As elsewhere, most pop songs are about love. But there are differences. You know, the 
Ethiopian is very discreetly romantic, quiet, shy, but then it is so much muted inside his heart. Netsanet Melesa, one of the kindest, best-loved artists in the business, sings with the Walias band. She started as a choir girl in the Ethiopian Orthodox Church. Popular music in Ethiopia draws on two traditional sources, the sacred and the secular. The secular influence is that of the Amaris, or troubadours. They performed in the courts of nobles and in the drinking houses of the common people. Nowadays, these drinking houses are often simply a converted room in somebody's home. One of the friendliest in town is that of Abebech Derara. Ababich usually sings her own songs, improvising to suit her audience. She explains why to club owner Yobda Haile Mariam Gesesi. Her background is theater, but she engages and challenges her audience like a true Asmari. Thank you. 
Most Asmaris were men without formal schooling, yet emperors and nobles feared their devastating barbs. Of the few who remain, one of the best is Bahiru. He reflects the dreams and the aspirations, the laughter and the tears of the people. He cannot be otherwise. He takes it from the people and he reinterprets with his talent what the people already know about themselves. Now, gradually, they are making their exit. For me, sadly so, because I still uh, try to go around and to listen to them. They give a lot of contemporary information to their music in a very entertaining manner. Uh, I think it will take some years before they will be completely out, sadly completely out. The other influence on Ethiopian popular music is that of the church. The Ethiopian Orthodox Church is traditionalist, hierarchical and strong on ritual. Its influence has been enduring and profound. It is in many ways unique. In its liturgy, for instance, it has developed a form of musical notation, small symbols hatched in above the written word, that is found nowhere else. This is attributed to a holy monk called St. Yared, considered the father of Ethiopian church music. Mm-hmm. 
Unlike other parts of Africa, this is not a Christianity brought by missionaries in recent times. Its church was established in the fourth century, some time before Christianity came to Britain. Church music and the music of the clubs and bars have two things in common, a certain underlying spirituality and the hypnotic effect of their traditional rhythms. This is a ritual and a culture that draws directly on ancient Judaic custom. And if today it has had to adapt to new deities and new rulers, the church's influence has not so much diminished, as simply become more circumspect. You're tuned to Imperial Voice. This is in our city. We're enjoying the soundtrack of the late Richard Taylor's Under African Skies documentary for the BBC in 1989 about Ethiopian music. It's been put on YouTube by his son, Benedict Taylor, who's put many other films on YouTube. So to enjoy the visuals and other works by the late Richard Taylor, go to the Richard Taylor page on YouTube. Even the Hilton Hotel carries the ubiquitous fraternal greetings. After the terror that followed the revolution, the continuing casualties of the civil war, and a paucity of accurate information, most Ethiopians long for greater access to the world outside. Yet for all that, whenever they discuss their culture, a proud independence makes them still wary of what they call the Ferenj. <laughs> whenever any foreigner touches your, what is yours, he's going to obviously implement what is his. And he's going to take so much out of you and so manipulate so much of you. And he's going to give it, this is what, you see? No, I want it to come out from an Ethiopian, an indigenous Ethiopian. I, I so. observe a certain contradiction here. Yeah. On one <clears throat> hand, we want our music to be palatable. And that is, I think, a euphemism. We want it to be a sellable commodity. On the other hand, we want to retain that cultural value that makes that music Unique. Ethiopian. Unique. You can't eat and keep the cake. If it's going to be Ethiopian music, it's not going to be palatable. But the point is, development, I mean, unfoldment will happen. You know, it will unfold, it will grow. And the, the most comforting thing about Ethiopian culture is this character that it assimilates any other culture that comes unto it with arrogance and overcomes it. Now, 
I don't want to keep Ethiopian music because it is Ethiopian or my allegiance to it. But imagine what could it do to pop music, which now I could, I could listen to when I was young. I could pop music now, rock and roll, couldn't satisfy me. Because it's, it, is, it, is, it, is, it is singular, as it were. It is, it is unidimensional. It is only bum, bum, bum. So if Ethiopian music can bring to pop music this kind of, you know, you know give me something for my, my heart and my mind, while at the same time I'm doing you know, great summer songs or, or, or break dance, you know, then what a tremendous contribution, what an enrichment that would be. Composer Mulatu Astatke calls his style of music Ethio jazz. That's um, a music which is a fusion of themes of Ethiopian music, but fused with twelve, with twelve tone music. Um, they have done quite a lot of experimental on harmonic uh, structures and voicings and uh, using different rhythm elements from uh, different parts of Ethiopia. This composition, using church music as its inspiration, is called Lent Time. Mixing Ethiopian and European instruments, it's an example of Mulatu's attempt to create something that is modern in concept, yet Ethiopian in character. a dozen or so traditional instruments, there are four in common use in popular music. The washint, the cabero, the krar, and the masinko.
Another influence of the past is that today's popular music often works within the parameters of the four traditional modes or scales. The first of these is the Anchi Hoye. is only used to express melancholic kind of mood. While uh, the others are uh, used to express both gear and melancholic. For example, like the body. is being played now in a much more livelier mood. Uh, this is because we are using uh, the Chikchika beat. The Chikchika beat is unique to Ethiopia as uh, reggae was once to Jamaica. third scale. It's called the Ambassel. Uh, but now it's being played in a much more uh, syncopated, inventive and uh, transformed version. or mode used uh, in Ethiopian music is Tzita. Now, if there is really something which describes our uh, country's soul, is it's this. Uh, what we're hearing is a slightly uh, pacey version of Tzita. Now, Tzita has been played by a lot of Ethiopian uh, famous singers, and it has got a lot of different versions. But if you want to hear a deeply melancholic version of the Zeta, listen to the Zahs. Tzita is a recollection of the past. It is nostalgia of the past. It is nostalgia of the experiences of the past. It's, you see the past 
as part of uh, an inspiration for the future. It is a love song that uh, a person, a man and a woman falls in love, they sing to Zeta. Uh, or a person, for example myself, I sing to Zeta sometimes when I'm very happy and sometimes when I'm sad. It is one of those songs that I sing at heart. It does for me express the real musical soul of the Ethiopians. Uh, in fact, I have dedicated a painting to this song. Uh, it is symbolic, it is allegorical, as the song itself is. Now, the girl is a very uh, beautiful one, and in the typical classical style, she is looking very sad, very disdainful, uh, because if a girl was smiling and laughing all the time, she was not really considered completely beautiful. In order to have the acceptance as a most beautiful woman, she had to have a tinge of sadness as well. soul song of Highland Ethiopia, then the Iskusta is their special dance. <laughs> Ethiopians say that it is only in the countryside, at traditional weddings for instance, that you see the real Iskusta. The movements are more created above the waist, uh, unlike most African dances but it is again like the song like the music very sophisticated underplayed even if it looks as if very provocative and very sexy 
it is subdued and very uh, refined in, in, its, in its approach. <laughs> Certainly most visitors, when first introduced to the Eskista, do see it as an extremely sexy and provocative dance. What was it uh, that uh, your Shakespeare said? Only thinking makes it so. Uh, you can feel sexy, you can feel uh, any other feelings you like, but nevertheless, this has come from this czar, you know, the the full letting yourself go. It's a, it's a, it's a bit of a pagan uh, expression. Das Tagebre has long been recognized as one of its greatest exponents. For me, she was the most outstanding Eskista dancer because she does it from the heart, from, the, from deep down, with a tremendous amount of feeling. So it's when she dances it sometimes, you are confused between the fetish, the religious, and the sensuous. City, we'll listen to the soundtrack of the Under African Skies documentary at the BBC 1989 by the late Richard Taylor. It's introduced by Benedict Taylor, who's put much of Richard's work up on YouTube for us all to enjoy. So check it out on YouTube, share and like. In the past, performers had little status in Ethiopia. Well-to-do families would feel ashamed if one of them became an entertainer. Today that's changed. Through government sponsorship, there are now roving cultural troops in nearly every province of the country and four state-subsidized theaters in Addis Ababa alone. At the City Hall Theatre, 
Abate Mercuria directs his own musical about the streetwise people of the city. Characters frequent the streets, the town dwellers, which we call the Arada people. And uh, the Arada, this is the center of the town where everything uh, really happens. And um, the characters dwelling in this particular area are exposed to um, foreign contacts. If a new number is created in music, they immediately take it and assimilate it to themselves. They, they take, recreate it and, and sang it out like You see? So, uh, like the, the shoeshine thing. So in time it becomes folklore, contemporary folklore. Mahmoud Ahmed is one of the few singers in Ethiopia to have achieved international recognition. He started his working life as a shoeshine boy. Here with the Roja band, he sings a Gurage song. The Gurage people of Ethiopia are famous for their entrepreneurial skills, whether it's hustling a living as Shushan boys or running highly successful businesses. Here, where Marxist Leninism and private enterprise pursue a somewhat watchful coexistence, Mahmoud Ahmed runs his own thriving music shop. Today, the Guragis dominate the Makato, one of the largest markets in Africa.
As in other parts of Africa, club and hotel bands in Ethiopia grew out of the military bands. The first of these was formed in the 20s, when Emperor Haile Selassie, then still regent, discovered in Jerusalem some Armenian orphans, survivors of the Turkish Holocaust. He brought them to Ethiopia and established what he called the Bodyguard Band. Avedis Tezian, senior spokesman for Ethiopia's influential Armenian community, remembers the first time these bandsmen played in public. It was at the Emperor's coronation in 1931, a debut that very nearly didn't happen. In rehearsals, they had to prepare the various national anthems of the invited foreign dignitaries. When it came to the Turkish uh, anthem, they refused to play. They argued, they said, we cannot play the music, the, the anthem of a country that has killed our parents. The emperor got angry, he said, he, he said, he ordered them to continue playing, he said, it should not, their personal feelings should not interfere, this was a diplomatic show and so on. Well, they were adamant, they refused. So a big state council was invited, including the greatest chiefs of the empire, and they said, this is a problem. These boys will not play the anthem of one of our guests. They listened, despite the emperor's insistence, the whole group unanimously decided that they, they could not be expected to play the music of a country that had killed their fathers. A few years later, in 1935, Italy invaded Ethiopia. The ill-equipped Ethiopians were no match for a modern army. Within weeks, the invaders made their triumphal entry into the ruined capital. If this dream of empire was short-lived, Italy's cultural influence was to long survive its eventual military defeat. Italian dance bands became a regular feature of life in cities like Addis and Asmara. What's more, many Italians had grown to love the country. When offered repatriation to Italy at the end of the war, they chose to stay. Amongst them, Giulio Tataglia and Lucenti Vincenzo. Then in the late 50s there came a revolution. It's Sunday night at the Buffet de la Gare. It's a sort of small uh, international cafe 
with all the uh, trimmings that you find in such similar places, be it in Hong Kong, Paris or New York. You meet all kinds of people from all spectrums of life and um, I think it's a kind of melting pot. Uh, I, think, I think it is good that such a place does exist in, in Addis and I think it, to whoever goes there will get a glimpse also of what another side of, of Ethiopia. Veteran singer Alamayo Eshetti was famous in the 60s for his take-offs of Presley and others. thing which is very interesting about that place is that uh, the music tries to be international uh, but at the same time you know this Ethiopian element creeps into it which I think is healthy. formation of dance bands back in the 1930s, Ethiopian music has undoubtedly become more indigenous in character. outside influences, of course, as well as internal pressures. As in all other aspects of cultural life, the government believes popular music must play its political role in the country's development. <laughs> Sergeant Wubishar Seleshi sings with the one-time bodyguard band, now known as the 4th Revolutionary Army Band.
Lyrics cannot be, uh, you know, for love, such as a woman and man and woman. It's not only this. So they have to compose a lyric for, uh, as I said, uh, heroes of the country, uh, for the country, for the mountain, for the river, and everything on this. Because music has to express everything what we see. times of fierce intentions and uncertainty, the song of Ethiopia continues, at home or in exile, persistent and unique. sign of all for me is that the Ethiopian musicians they are all trying to do that music that has influenced them but with a tinge of Ethiopianness in them in other words uh, they are trying to interpret it as it were uh, in their Ethiopian fashion their Ethiopian way Oh, the 
sure that there's a documentary. Screaming. <laughs> 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 there yeah. probably is. If yeah. this, only we knew someone who could make it. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> We've been talking with Benedict Taylor about the work mm. of his father, the documentary maker Richard Taylor. We've been enjoying the soundtrack of Richard Taylor's 1989 documentary about Ethiopia in the BBC's Under African Skies series. All of this material is accessible via YouTube on the Richard Taylor channel, which you can find easily. Equal for the law. You just put it up two days ago. It's had six views, Ben. And, um, <laughs> and I'm sure it'll get to the 100,000 that you've had. For your YouTube, so. <laughs> I think it's, it's a wonderful project. I mean, it's a wonderful way to pay tribute to your dad's work. And I didn't, I didn't even know about your dad at all. I've known you for, for what, 40 years or something. Yeah. I, I didn't know about your dad's work. And, and seeing it drop into this context of an intense interest in Ethiopian culture, which we have at Fairfield House for obvious reasons. It's a really wonderful discovery. So thank you. I'm really grateful. Well, it, uh, it was, um, it, it's, I think, I think yeah, bereavement is a difficult thing to chart your way through and, and doing something creative and holding that person in your mind while you do it, um, it has been for me the, uh, the only thing that's made any, any strong positive difference. Well, listen, I'm process. sure this is helping your dad across the river. Yeah. And we send our very, very best wishes from, from the oh, whole thank you. Imperial Voice community. So you're tuned to Imperial Voice. This is In Our City. I'm William Heath. And I'm Uluwatosi Unileri. We've been very glad to speak to Benedict Taylor today about a project he's doing about the work of his father, the documentary maker Richard Taylor. And we commend his films to you. Stay tuned to Imperial Voice. Mm -hmm.